0: And just coming out of a Boy With Girl Name morning mixtape. Thanks, Sasha, for all the great music. That was Sasha's 100th broadcast. I'm so glad that we're DJ neighbors. And we've been DJ neighbors the last two years. Um, In case you haven't heard it before, Radical Advice is a show where we talk about the intersection of politics, activism, personal growth, psychotherapy, uh, the personal and the political. And we answer Listener Life questions. I usually do this with a guest, which I have today. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to dive in. And, and just, uh, just, just so you are aware that when we discuss Listener Life questions, in no way is that a replacement for psychotherapy or any kind of uh, mental health treatment from a trained professional um, yeah I, I guess I guess one thing I could m- mention is that we have more democratic debates this week tonight and tomorrow night I believe from 6 to 8pm I might watch a little bit of one tonight and uh, I know I'm going to need to practice some self-care because it is uh it can be a lot it can be frustrating on so many levels from just noticing how politicians speak and pander and to just kind of like getting in that zone of the anxiety about this upcoming election and how how much is on the line so just yeah Maybe, maybe it won't have the same impact on you, but I encourage you to pay attention to that and uh, take care of yourself, watch with friends if you can, don't watch, just read the recaps, whatever you gotta do. And uh, right now in the background, we are listening to more of one of the most delightful instrumental albums, Mort Garson's album. Uh, Mother Earth's Plantasia. These are songs to play, synth songs to play for your plants, for your houseplants, to keep them healthy. (laughs) And this is Ode to an African Violet. The next one is Rhapsody in Green. Highly recommend. So before I bring in my guest, I want to do what we usually do at the beginning of the show and encourage you to take a moment to pause whatever you're doing, and pay attention to where you're at. Just bring a little bit of observation to your mind and your body. So noticing your breath. The way that it moves in and out. Maybe the rise and fall of your chest or your belly. The way the air feels in your nostrils or your mouth. In these moments, there's often... A tug to to come out of this place and go right back into the busyness of everything that feels so urgent, so alluring. But if you step back a little bit, you might notice that just a few minutes isn't isn't gonna screw up your day isn't gonna cause you any problems and, in fact, might make it easier to focus and get your bearings for everything that's ahead of you. You're taking inventory so you can notice if there's something that you, maybe there's an unmet need, maybe you need to drink some water or eat something, or stretch. Maybe you'll feel more grounded if you, when this is over, go through your emails, get a little bit organized, make a to-do list. Or maybe the answer is to throw your computer out the window. You do you. And I want you to remember that whatever you're feeling and whatever you're thinking right now, it's not bad. You're not bad for having those experiences. You're not wrong. And there might be nothing that needs to be fixed. Here's I'm Set Free by the Velvet Underground. Song for my guest. Thanks for listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. That was I'm Set Free by the Velvet Underground from the Velvet Underground. And here in the studio today is my guest Kate White. Hi.
1: Hi.
0: Thank you for being here.
1: Thanks so much for having
0: me. Yeah. So you you uh, picked that song. Can you can you tell me about what it means to you?
1: Wow, listening to it just now, I was, like, getting choked up and, like, I, I think it means a lot to me. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a good choice, then.
1: Yeah. It's, it's great. It's, Isn't it? Yeah, it's I actually, so I don't think
0: I knew that one.
1: Oh, God. All right, I'm coming, I'm kind of coming down from it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> take, yeah. take your time. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I think that's the song of a seeker you know Mm. it's the cycles of seeking of finding the illusion being able to shed it being free for a moment and Mm. then it's the next layer of illusion Mm. that you're in Mm -hmm. I mean until you like either get enlightened or die Right. Or um, <laughs> <laughs> both. Sorry. Yeah. And then yeah. the the part that I was really getting choked up with, uh, uh, let me tell you people what I've found as an artist. Uh, I saw my head laughing, rolling on the ground. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. disidentifying even with the ego and like this like sacred clown thing and
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and
1: mm-hmm. just communicating what I'm experiencing as i go and none of it's the truth the ultimate truth right. it's just the next layer
0: right yeah
1: and there are there are seekers and there are knowers you know <laughs> there's the knowers who have the ideology that works and uh-huh. tries to make that happen and yeah um that's a struggle right and then right, there's right. the seekers who that's its own struggle
0: yeah I've definitely I've definitely identified more as a seeker mm-hmm. though yeah there's moments where I think I've been I've
1: thought I knew <laughs> yes and usually that fleeting. becomes painful when <laughs> yeah you become limited in what you think you know right and, and you're like oh
0: actually <sighs> hmm yeah there's a lot of exceptions to this rule or a lot of yeah when we when uh when we walked in this morning downstairs in the gal in the gallery in the gallery, mm-hmm. the gallery that is the gallery, uh there's a great exhibit right now with kind of outer space type stuff that's very existential and there's a big spinning wheel. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show, but there's a big spinning wheel that you spin and and it's either gonna the things either gonna land on nothing matters or everything matters. <laughs> And we we spun it this morning and we were both very relieved that it landed on nothing matters because <laughs> it's a lot less pressure.
1: <laughs> yeah. I guess then we can decide what matters right now.
0: Mm, oh, that's a nice way of looking at it. Right. If nothing matters. Then... There's
1: no like ideal or absolute we're trying to live up to. Right. Huh. What matters to you right now?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh God, what does matter to me right now? I mean, consciously, because there's unconsciously, I'm sure, like breathing and like, you know, yeah. my heart pumping matters. But unconsciously, I think what matters to me right now is is being on the radio and saying things that are useful to people. Mm-hmm. You know, like wanting to be wanting to be useful but also wanting to be likable and mm-hmm. uh yeah, ooh, that's a little uncomfortable.
1: I think I know, <laughs> but I, th- I think yeah. I think that like naming that—that's I—that's why I, I want to say what matters to me.
0: Yeah, what matters to you
1: is um, being as real as possible mm-hmm. and honest as possible. Yeah, and. Of course, having everybody love me. <laughs> oh, totally. No, 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 no. We have to be able to be... Comp- Those two things yeah. might not be compatible. We have to be our total but... <laughs> authentic selves
0: and everyone needs to love us. Yeah. I mean, this is the struggle, right? I mean, that's... We were talking about the Enneagram. Yes. Because I, I was not going to bring it up. And then earlier you're like, are you a four? Yeah. <laughs> and so being... And I, I, think a lot of what we're talking about does kind of. Tie that
1: into I was that, about to say, yes. yeah, that,
0: that this this particular type within this personality mm-hmm. system that is uh, definitely a seeker type and very um, existential and kind of isolated in that and and emotional and and deep and also like this need. to for uniqueness and specialness and and, realness and and
1: depth and wanting so badly to be seen completely and equally terrified of that yes
0: oh yeah so there's so much um as much as I put myself out there there are so many ways that I hide yeah
1: Uh, that's artists that's what art is hiding it's revealing and hiding at the same time so
0: and and I didn't say it yet but it's probably clear to listen but you're an artist and you're a painter Mm -hmm. and the image you sent me a couple options to use as an image for for the show today and I use the painting the self-portrait perfect which is amazing I love I love your art I love Mm. the style of it I love the kind of mixed um well the surreal aspects and and the rawness and the the kind of like purposeful messiness in it and this this self-portrait you're you're naked Mm -hmm. and you're sitting on a chair painting some eyes and you have a paper bag over your head yes exactly (laughs) what i'm talking about there's the there's Mm -hmm. the hiding Mm -hmm.
1: the revealing everything while still hiding yeah yeah
0: Ooh, what in that in that painting in that self-portrait what what are you painting? Was that kind of a literal, like, oh, this is a painting I'm working on right now? Or was there something symbolic about the image in that, that you're working on?
1: You mean the painting I'm painting in the painting? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the way paintings work for me is, like, I have a, an idea, you know, it's sort of a concept, and it was kind of that fourth thing of, like, revealing and hiding at the same time. But as yeah. I work on the painting... Yeah. Um the kind of aesthetic logic of the painting starts taking over and revealing other meanings Mm -hmm. that maybe were unconscious. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think when I started, the painting I was working on in the painting was particularly relevant. It was just a, a painting. But... The meaning of the painting became less about my own like struggle with revealing and hiding and shame and, and wanting attention and all of that. And it, w- it became more about the act of painting mm. being my head laughing, rolling on the ground. Like my <laughs> head separated from my body. It's like my body mm. unconsciously is doing this and it's consciousness. It's not necessarily my concept and my consciousness mm. so the painting ended up having the eyes in it as be having its own consciousness
0: oh interesting the painting yeah. I'm working
1: on it, yeah is is consciousness and wow. there's no eyes on the painter in the painting. right right the eyes are in the painting I'm working on
0: Ooh. well and that makes me think of like creating art as a way of as a way of seeking and finding yes as opposed to it's like going into it without knowing and coming out of it with some kind of like oh I can see the world through this painting yes
1: or going into it with a knowing like I knew I was going to make this painting I had a certain kind of an idea about it and yes that was shed in the making of it
0: yeah like like this painting will be my eyes yeah oh
1: Ooh. And it's kind of based on of Alaska's painting of Las Meninas, which also oh. plays with who's looking at home and uh-huh, who uh-huh. the painter is and, you know, who's in charge of this all, the whole thing. So yeah, for art history, people, that's
0: well, the feedback I got when I took some art classes in college was, um, you have some potential. It would be good if you studied more art history. And I was like, <clears throat>
1: That's dumb. <laughs> well, I think I think that, I didn't though, and I when yeah. I first started painting, I knew I knew who Picasso was and right. who Van Gogh was. <laughs> That's it.
0: I'm in general, I like I I'm not somebody with a lot of encyclopedic knowledge of things. I'm more of a doer, and yeah. so it's yeah. It can be it can be hard sometimes when I'm like, oh yeah, I'm an artist, and then you talk to people and they're like, oh, have you heard of so and so and so and so? I'm like, Ugh. no, no, no,
1: No, just claim that. Just be like, yeah, I have huge gaps because I don't care.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and when I do learn about other artists, I'm inspired by them and right. like I get a lot out of it. But but my ability to to consume and retain knowledge is like it's very sparse and it's not gonna be like yeah I'm not gonna same to pack here it in. Yeah, yeah no
1: I don't I don't know eras I don't know years centuries yeah yeah I just pick and choose what I care what I want to know about
0: yeah yeah so did you did you study art formally
1: no I didn't I didn't start painting till I was 30 I wow. was never a like visual artist type of person
0: what what happened <laughs> god, <laughs> god what happened to you <laughs>
1: What tragedy befell your life? (laughs) Well, up until then, my life sort of was a tragedy. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, not really. Uh, That's a four. That's a classic four over dramatization. We can't do it on the radio, but I'm putting my
0: hand (laughs) on my forehead and falling backwards onto a fainting couch. But... But there was something...
1: Yeah, I was really tormented um, and, like, addicted and eating disorders and Mm -hmm. living out in a shack in the woods, like, could not deal with life and had no idea who I was or how to live. And Mm -hmm. I was writing. That was my... I I did discover writing, which probably saved me, and that was, like, my first taste of what we were just talking about, the creative process of revealing other selves to yourself um yeah. but that became really pressured and oppressive and too uh caught in languid like I was just like in a in a corner in my head and I quit writing with this like leap into the unknown like I'll yeah. just be a nothing you know and for a four like having an identity or a, a, being special in some way so I was like I'm just gonna like go work at a gas station and yeah. I don't care and That was a real surrender and the visual world just like blossomed before me and I like landed in my body in this way I'd never experienced and Mm -hmm. I just felt like I wanted to play with form and color and I went and got some paint and started painting and very quickly uh, it was like a calling, you know, it Mm -hmm. was like this is gonna save me. And it is saving me, and this is how I will enter the world. And wow. shortly after that, I moved to San Francisco to like be an artist <laughs> and had a total like nervous breakdown trying to <laughs> deal with all of that. But it's yeah. a whole other, but yeah, that was what 2002. So okay. Like 17 years ago.
0: And it stuck with you.
1: I stuck with it.
0: And you stuck with it.
1: It, 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 yeah, I kind of <laughs> lost that. Um, initial connection Mm -hmm. when I tried to make it a career right to prove my you know so it's been a long journey of um kind of like between ego and spirit Mm. and you know yeah and and I feel like I've shed another layer lately and I I feel more connected to my painting than I have in a very long time
0: Yeah, I I wonder about that as a audio artist, um, you know, trying to do some of that work professionally and get paid to do that work. And it's so it's like I'm already bumping up against that, like, oh, when do I have time to work on this weird like this, this like thing that comes from this deeper place inside of me that nobody really wants to give money to or fund or not that I found and I don't want to spend all my time looking for somebody to validate me with money at the same time I need to need money to have time to do it mm-hmm. and so it's you know and so I'm doing a lot of freelance work that's like producing corporate podcasts and like yeah I'm using the skills I can make it sound good but there's that like wait what wait what am I doing this for kind of thing that comes up and I, I've I think I always was interested in being an artist and what that looks like is just, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really tricky, especially the the parts of us that, you know, are kind of, you know, where our ego comes in, where we're performers, where we want, really want to be seen and validated, whether Mm -hmm. it's through money or likes on social media or, you know, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's just a really tough thing to, like, figure out how to...
1: How to manage that, and so I wonder what what did shift for you. Oh, well, I mean, it was never the money thing. I, I've always worked as a gardener, so mm-hmm. I have a trade that I pays my bills and I enjoy enough. Yeah. So I never uh, counted on or hoped for my art to make money. Yeah. Um, for me, it was really more just a very deep uh desire to be participate in larger like cultural conversation Mm -hmm. and the fear of not being uh valued. Yeah, yeah. And that really shifted for me because I really like wanted to have an art career, but I just I think my my, I there. I gave so much power to like the art world and the larger culture that I felt like always very insecure and afraid, mm-hmm. and I would like go into a gallery and just start sweating, you know. Yeah. And um, and the art that was happening at the time, it didn't. My work was so different then. I mean, I've always painted in the style you described, and mm-hmm. back then it was like not at all on trend and. Hmm. I just felt like a total outsider and yeah. w- and I was and then what shifted for me was um, when I moved to West Oakland to a mostly black neighborhood and you know I grew up in like poor white like lo- lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder environment and always felt super uncomfortable in the world I was supposed to kind of be comfortable in down in the here in the city mm. and when I moved to West Oakland it was like oh, I just felt like it's like a class thing you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I became really just like enmeshed in the community there mm. and particularly one person Rory who's in a lot of my paintings he and I connected on this like deep soul level um he was like living in a car and addicted to drugs and like been on the streets his whole life Mm. and when we connected um he had this miraculous like spiritual transformation where he got clean Mm. easily wow with no desire to ever use again it's been like eight years Wow, he's in the exact same place, uh, the exact same friends. He's a mechanic. He works on cars in front of my house, Uh and um, yeah, that doesn't usually happen. No, so I witnessed something huge, a a total surrender. Yeah, and simultaneously, he helped. He was helping me have my own of my own disempowerment. Mm You know, like placing power outside of myself where they could either give it to me or not. Yeah. And somehow us going through that and being exposed to the larger community. I mean, it's a whole world there that is very separate from the world of power. Right, right. I like butting up against, you know, and it's a totally different relationship to it that Mm -hmm. is not can't be dependent on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right you, right and <laughs> and I and you know and I started painting I was painting in my house there and my audience became who I was around and like mm. hanging up art on the street and giving it away and I got that need met for being seen and participating and being part of a a conversation and I felt like completely satisfied and was going to quit trying to have an art career. I was Mm. like, Oh, I don't need that. Mm. I've found that ground here in myself. Yeah. With the help of this community and Rory. And, and it was just sort of a fluke that I had been nominated for to apply to something. And I, you know, last minute, like wrote, wrote an application and, uh, Saying exactly what I felt, not what I thought they wanted to hear, and yeah. I got it. <laughs> and then, funny, like, funny it, how that. Happens. I know. <laughs> and then, and then I got this award at Headlands, and then like yeah. I had this like art career happening suddenly, <laughs> and but it wasn't because I needed it at that point. Yeah, it's like as
0: soon as soon as you didn't need it, and you were you were really grounded in what you were doing. Yeah, it it happened, and I and I'm not I'm not someone who believes like. Totally in some cosmic thing, and that's exactly why. But it's pretty wonderful that it, you know, that what I mean, the fact is, is that it would have been fine either
1: way then. Exactly. It would have been fine either way. Yeah. And not fine because I'm not fine. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> it's like, and now my
3: life is perfect. Yeah. And I have no
1: insecurity. It's always fine and it's never fine. Right. <laughs>
0: wow yeah so and so we're gonna we're gonna shift gears in a sec but I want to kind of tease the second part of this conversation which will come after after we do a listener question but is basically I want to dive more into that relationship with the art world and with with power and privilege great especially because you know as as a white woman a lot of the subjects you're painting are black mm-hmm. and so there's been a lot of conversation about that And yeah. you write about it really wonderfully on your website and so i want to dive into that conversation um but first let's listen to a song and then come back and do a listener question great all right so uh i'm gonna play uh one i heard on uh no magic last week uh hope by sandy alex g and uh yeah stay tuned you're listening to radical advice on bff.fm advice on bff.fm that was uh hope by sandy alex g um joining me here on the show is uh, oakland based painter kate white yay yay um i was have really been enjoying the conversation so far about about art and about your work and your history and we'll, we'll get back to more of that uh in a bit, but now is the time when we answer a listener question. All right. I also, before I dive into one, I, I just want to put out the call. I need some more listener questions. Uh, I want to know what you're grappling with, whether it's personal or political or both. Um, tell me a story. <laughs> tell me a story about your life that you want discussed on the show. I, again, we, you know, we don't really... Sometimes we give advice, but like a lot of it's just discussing it because most things are kind of complicated and there's no one right answer. Um, and, and your identity will never be revealed. Um, so please go to RadicalAdviceShow.com and click Submit where you can uh, fill out the, the submission form. And entering your, your name or email address is, is optional. You can leave it anonymous. Either way, I I don't share that on the show. Okay, so let's do this. So all right, this is this is uh somebody wrote wrote something in about workplace issues, and now we are both we are both uh, self employed uh, people. Yeah, who, what's a workplace? Yeah, what's a, <laughs> we we don't work in offices. Have you ever worked in an office environment? Or? No. Um, well, in college. Okay. Yeah, sort I did. Of. The last time I did was um early 20s yeah, yeah before grad school <laughs> okay so this person wrote but 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 you know i've watched the
1: office so, yeah you and, know, and and <laughs> i mean it's all, it all comes down to the same like fundamental uh psychological issues totally. dealing with okay yeah. all right here
0: we go help i like it when they start that way all right i feel like i'm losing my mind i'm pretty fucking sharp and on top of things and even with that i still can make mistakes regularly when i'm really busy especially When I do make a mistake, I make a serious effort to apologize and own it. I feel certain our culture is one of low accountability across the board, and it feels like it's getting worse. I would say daily I get sent some bullshit email where someone is trying to blame me for shit that's not my fault. I'm trying to respond without getting defensive, but the amount it's happening is really starting to piss me off. I noticed I'll go back and second-guess myself and look through my records to make sure I didn't drop the ball before I respond, but i'm starting to really resent that i'm even second guessing myself when fingers start pointing at me. And then, how am i supposed to respond? Forward the email that proves i'm not the person that fucked up? That's not going to get me anywhere with these fuck faces.
1: Hmm.
0: Um I can tell that you're angry. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that you
1: you are angry. <laughs> I I
0: I am I hear that they are fuck faces and i I I'm sure they are honestly, because <laughs> most people are. <laughs> hmm. uh, that is that is really hard. I've definitely been in that situation where I I too identify as someone who's like really willing to own up to mistakes and apologize and like is overly like will overly take responsibility for things that aren't that maybe I I don't need to. And so when when I'm not responsible for something or I don't think I'm responsible for something and I'm and i'm feeling blamed i i feel similarly like a a combo of like Hmm. panic and self-doubt and and some like righteous anger
1: yes okay yeah um huh this okay my my response yeah bring it tie is ties into probably what we're about to be talking about
2: Oh, About yeah, yeah. being
1: in a position where you feel like you are doing everything you can and should and having um what feels like a i don't know attacks mm-hmm. um and I don't know. I I guess my question is where is your power in this. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't control the culture or other people and get Mm -hmm. them to act right so that you don't have to feel bad. Mm -hmm. That leads to endless war which is what we have. (laughs) Oh, that is true. Um, So seeing what you need from yourself when you get one of those emails, emotionally what you need from yourself that you can give to yourself when you get one of those emails, what what does it bring up in you that feels so terrible when – you feel injustice or unfairness or falsely accused or not seen or like what is going on with you that it hurts so much when that happens. Because yeah. you can imagine, you know, other, other people who don't have your particular psychological emotional makeup could be unaffected by that. So mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. or have a completely different reaction. So I guess your power is only really in how you treat yourself when that happens and mm-hmm. kind of like what you do about it. Like, do you, I don't know. I heard you say you that makes you doubt and doubt yourself.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So. Right. Well, and,
0: and like, I don't think all self-doubt is bad. Like, it's good. <laughs> it's good because what it does is it, it means that people will, will, it's good it's good for us to question ourselves mm-hmm. I don't believe that we need to you know overcompensate and go to some other end of the spectrum where everyone's just like I'm great and I'm perfect all the time and fuck the haters like no we want to we want to like have some self-reflection and if somebody accused me of something like I I think it, it would be good for me to to be like huh, wait are they right and like go back and check and then if I find out no 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 they're not
1: right exactly to be able
0: to let go emotionally of what it feels like to be accused that's the other part you know it's like oh it's like oh no they're not right I'm just gonna like clear this up
1: yeah <laughs> you no know? Uh, I mean, that's that's <laughs> wow. like not dealing with it
0: <laughs>
2: yeah you know yeah. being
1: like no I'm right I don't have to worry about them yeah no yeah. it's like what in you is threatened by the possibility of you being wrong totally and healing that yeah like it's humbling. You know, to, to be like, yeah, I, but it's also empowering. That's how like being, that's how humility is actually power because you don't have anything to protect or defend. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. I think we live in a culture where people are like trying to protect and defend themselves so intensely that it, it, you know, the options are act right according to the way that everybody says you should act or, um, be like a total mess and uh, feel like you're like the shittiest person ever. Yeah, like it's yeah. like the f- pride and it's like what is like the narcissistic spectrum of like I'm either the biggest piece of shit or like yeah. totally untouchable.
4: Totally,
0: and it yeah, it's still it's still all about you. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's how narcissism works. It's like either yeah, you're still the most important. I mean, there you said you know you said you can't change the culture in your response, and that that may be true, and like. Indefinitely at the at the end of the day, it's ourselves that we have the most you know ability to work with. Though I do wonder if there is something going on in the culture of the workplace about how communication is happening that ends up feeling bad, like that that could be talked about.
1: You could change the culture. I yeah, that was wrong. You can change the culture by acting differently than the culture. You could
0: act differently than the culture. It it could it could be that there could be that there's a pattern of communication that that could be addressed that could be like spoken to yeah. maybe it won't change, but at least someone speaking up about it, you know, I don't, I don't know how these things are being communicated, but I've noticed that there, there's there been times where it's like, hmm, this tweak to how we talk through something might help me feel less defensive or help me feel more. Not that it's, I mean, there's situations where it's not about like, you know, catering to somebody's person, you know, emotions, but like in a workplace culture, you want to be able to communicate effectively and have people work together well. And, and so what's, what's going on there that is, you know, are, are people, yeah. are people calling th- are people blaming you in a very blamey, accusatory, non-constructive way, mm-hmm. or are they pointing out a problem? and assuming it's you and that's the problem. You know, it's like it's right. like is it how they're doing it? Is it that it's happening at all? Mm-hmm. Like I know even when people blame me for something in the nicest way, I'm still going to feel a little bad mm-hmm. because I have to contend with that self-doubt and mm-hmm. and wonder, you know, and, and and all of that. But but it's still better. I'm I'm usually more able to do the self-reflection, make any clarifications or apologize and move on when I'm not getting you know when when people are kinder about it
1: but yeah yeah. and i think requesting that people uh if it's the way that they're doing it yeah making a request just from kind of a non-charged place yeah that it would help you better if it were framed Nicer or however, you know, like you can make a request. I mean, it may (laughs) not.
0: It's funny because like, as we're saying this, I'm like, there are exceptions to this. I, I think the workplace scenario where maybe people are more on equal ground is different. But like, I wouldn't give the same advice around... You know, oh, like people are calling me out for my racism. <laughs> like I wouldn't be like, why don't you ask them to be nicer about it? Like, no, 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 no. Right. That's a situation where your feelings don't need to be prioritized. But just general like peer to peer workplace communication, you you can ask, you know, for you can you can make requests. You can see where that goes. It might go nowhere. Mm-hmm. But and then you have to consider over the long term, if you have options, if if it is an environment you want to work in, if you have to be there, and it's not an environment you want to work in, what do you have to do to kind of manage that, that anxiety and that, those hurt feelings? Ugh. I, yeah, I wonder what's going on that, like, it feels like that's the other thing is, are you really, are... Is there something going on where you're, you're getting blamed for a lot of things is, and, and what, what is it and can you speak to a manager or somebody about, you know, like getting feedback around that or trying to understand it more? Um, or are you feeling sensitive to any implication that you might have made a mistake? Good. Yes. Good discernment. Yeah. <laughs> See, and this that, is why you're yeah. a
1: therapist. That's good discernment. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well,
0: I don't know. I don't know that I'm always good at discerning for myself. I'm, no, I'm really bad at discerning for myself. I'm like, everybody hates me. Nobody liked my tweet. Everybody hates me. It's just, it's just a completely objective fact.
1: <laughs> it's true that I'm bad, wrong, it's, and worthless. Yep. Yeah. All right.
0: Totally. Yeah. And it's, just, <laughs> and it's like there, there are things that come up in, in life or certain emotional states that I'm in where I'm more paranoid you know than others not to say that this person is being paranoid it's just again another like you know what what is what portion is a real thing that could be addressed externally what's a real thing right. to address internally right. and what i yeah. know mm-hmm. i
1: mean in that that kind of approach that's the real i guess that's just the real like dialectic about mm. where how much control we have. I mean, I think addressing it internally to get the clarity and the yeah. non-reactiveness so that you can address it externally in a way that is like from an empowered place. Yeah. Not empowered in terms of having power in, in the, the way that we define it, at, yeah. in, at power over, but a, a place of solidity within yourself. Yeah, Not that you're right, But that you're um, from a self-love, self-acceptance place, no matter what. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that that could even look like going to your boss and saying, here's what's going on. Here's what I know inside of me. Here's what I don't know. Here's some gaps that I need your help trying to, you know, fill. But not like... But that's di- that's still that's still having solidity and not knowing and yes. clarity and not knowing. Like, okay, I'm I've thought it through. I've sat with this. Feel pretty clear about these parts, but I'm super unclear still about these parts. And I think I need someone else to help me mm-hmm. uh, get some perspective or understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and to be able to be clear that that's something that you need to ask for help with, and that that's okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with needing help and not having all the answers. But eventually, everyone's heads will just be rolling on the floor.
1: Laughing. Laughing. Lying
0: on the ground. Yeah, lying on yeah. the ground. Disembodied. <laughs> and then we'll all die. And none of it, nothing matters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's how I should really end all of these. It's just like. And we'll die, and nothing matters. <laughs> uh, actually, there is another question we'll answer later. That's that's that I think will be really fun to do because of that.
1: Okay, um, it's not a work. It's not an office. It's not an office question. No, okay, good. It's not. I'm it's a little ag- lost in those. I think.
0: Well, I. Mean, I think that's why
1: I've avoided that whole world.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know how I would in that world I assume I'd be okay you know there'd be people I don't like and people I do like and you know people who you know I mesh well with and people who I don't but um it's been so long and even though I miss miss having people to work with in like a more structured way um I have some anxiety like you know occasionally I look at at jobs that are like that and and I will get some anxiety about it like Hmm. overall like it's it's something I think I, I actually want to experience again but I I don't know how long I would last before I'm just
1: like oh my god oh my god fuck this <laughs> I just don't know how to I don't ha- I can't wear the clothes you have oh. to wear like I can't wear business casual clothes oh I don't I've I, I, just I guess assume there's places I where you don't to. have to wear that but yeah I think I mean any places uh. I I don't know. I just I I I don't have the skills <laughs> emotionally, <laughs> technically, technologically. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. And I can't I cannot do anything that I don't completely believe in. I just have that's, no motivation for it and I'll be a, a horrible really employee. That's a really hard
0: thing for me too and I yeah, I was having a conversation with a friend the other night about I was like, yeah, I can't think of a, a single thing that I can do for more than, you know, X amount of hours a week. So like finding that st- stable, secure job with benefits and a 401k and all that seems so out of reach for me. And he just looked at me. He's like, well, you just suck it up. Like not everybody is passionate about what they do. And And that's actually a very fair perspective. Yeah. And I think that necessity would put would I think necessity plays a big role in these things and what someone would consider necessary as well. Like, for instance, I'm getting away, getting away. Like, I'm able to have the flexibility I have because um, my expenses are fairly low. And. At the same time, though, if I considered having savings necessary, which mm-hmm. a lot of people do, and I kind of wish I did, then I would have to work a lot more.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, if I considered paying off my student loans necessary, mm-hmm. then I would have to work a lot more mm-hmm. and work harder and like. Get
1: good thing them. we don't consider those things necessary. I know, I know. <laughs> Same here. But sometimes I'm
0: like, oh, that would be that would be a good thing to consider necessary because I would have a lot more stability in my life my you know things wouldn't feel so on the edge you know um but but that's yeah so so for for me to have a job like that to be necessary would be having a monthly expense that I have no way around like a like a much higher rent or you know a child or you know things like that so you know a, a lot of it is is it's even what we consider necessary is a choice yes but it but it ties into really deep deep um you know old patterns of thinking and ways we're taught to think about money and right all of that and
1: yeah and what our life is for Mm
0: -hmm, i mean yeah and some of us are just gonna be messy artists with no retirement plan
1: yeah you could get an ira i got an ira
0: Oh see, I'm not even there yet. Because you need so to get an IRA, you need you need like a thousand dollars to open the account yeah. and get it going. Yeah. And I almost was there and then something happened in my life that totally like it, I was like, out, oh huh? my god, I was just about to be a person with an IRA. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm just a person with a IRA glass.
1: <laughs> um <laughs> That's okay. You still got time. I I didn't get mine till like I was way older than you anyway. Okay. You're, you're good.
0: Okay. I'm still uh, it's still there as a goal. Like I just I just want an Ira. I mean, I also want other things. Yeah, it, but... a few other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So 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 just to kind of like summarize, you know, we I I enjoy these questions cuz sometimes we just go in these fun tangential directions, but uh again, kind of coming back to what's what's the work to do inside of yourself and what's the work to do externally and what do you need need to do inside of yourself to feel more clear about Mm -hmm. what you want to ask for Mm -hmm. and there's no perfect way to do any of this but it it just sounds like there's some dynamics happening that that needs some attention and some some work and it's hard any any other last thoughts on that
1: um no.
0: Cool. Well, we solved their problem. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Send, we're sending you the bill, anonymous person. I'll just send a bill to everyone just in case. You yeah, know. in case it helps them. I imagine someone will send some money in. Just being like uh, automatically just paying bills, not thinking. Of, mm. Really? I don't My know. My Venmo is. Yeah. I mean, if you send a bill to a million people. Mm. I'm sure some of those people will pay it.
1: Hey. There's your there's your retirement plan. Yeah.
0: I just I just finished reading. Do you know the nib? Uh-uh. Oh, it's such it's a really good um it's a really good magazine. It goes in print. It also is online and it's um it's it's basically like polit- political cartoon um and storytelling and, and a lot of nonfiction like telling you know, learning about things, but through a kind of comic book, comic cartoon format. And um, it's just a really great publication. And I finally now I I pay $4 a month to subscribe. And I I had my copy in the mail. And the last issue was on scams. Mm. And it was really fun because you got inspired. I got inspired. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that was the goal of the issue. But I'm like, hmm, I didn't (laughs) think of that one.
5: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right
0: let's uh let's listen to uh, another song and come back and and continue our conversation okay all right uh this is lavender burning by half on the album lavender you are listening to radical advice on bff.fm Just keep listening
3: to give a name to the place where my heart is A country of shadows, is hard to tell where the start is I miss New Year's Trying to fill this hole that once held my hope
0: Radical Advice on BFF.fm. I'm Lily Sloan. Joining me here in the studio is Kate White. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We're gonna we're gonna jump into uh, more conversation about your artwork. Um, In a moment I just want to remind listeners that BFF.fm is a community supported community radio station bringing great things to the community. So community 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 and uh, we we really um could use your uh your your help to you know keep keep these things happening and alive and if you go to bff.fm slash donate you can uh, make a one-time contribution or become a bestie by setting up a monthly contribution and uh you can go and learn more about the perks that go along with that but um One of the things that we do out in the world that is pretty awesome is we, uh, this summer have been doing a concert series at Jack London square and this Thursday we'll be there. Let's see. I'm trying to, trying to look at who's, who's playing. There's, there's always local bands, mostly East Bay for our Jack London square Performances, But we'll be there. Uh, it's called Mush. We'll be there this Thursday, the first from 630 to nine. Uh, there'll be some beer and wine available. I will be there. You can say hi to me. Um, great music, views of the bay. I'm going to take the ferry over. And it, it happens right there on the lawn by the ferry terminal. So come join us. All right. Let's 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 keep talking. All right. All right. So So where we left it off was that one of the big things that is going on with your artwork is that you being immersed in this community in West Oakland and the people in your life, you started painting the people in your life. <laughs> and so a lot of the subjects of your painting are black. And there's been i guess that that raises questions for you as a white artist what what your relationship to that is do you profit from that like all these questions of, of is that is that okay or mm-hmm. what what does that mean and so you wrote pretty extensively about it on your website but i'd like yeah to just hear more from you about what what that's been like what some of the criticism has been and mm-hmm. how you
1: how you work with that Okay. Uh, Yeah, it's been a really deep and evolving conversation. Um, And first, though, I want to say, like, I've been painting people from, from since I began painting. Yeah. And... I don't only paint black people, right? You know, I've seen that's a lot, what gets a yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: that, a lot on here that are not yeah. yeah. Like
1: <laughs> like it like my paintings are representative of my actual lived life, you yeah, know. Yeah. So there are black people included in the paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes the conversation gets steered in this direction that like, that's all I'm doing.
2: Right. And then it doesn't,
1: those paintings don't don't get contextualized within the larger body of work.
0: Yeah. As I look through your body of work on your website, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of different people that you're painting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So yeah, when I, like I said, when I first started, it was not within the art world. It was just within the community and my own kind of friend group.
0: Yeah,
2: Yeah.
1: And... Um, and it wasn't, uh, there was no question about it, you know? Mm-hmm. In fact, l- l- I was paint, you know, I've been painting just the way I paint and asked Rory what he thought of what I painted that day. And he said, it looks like a bunch of white people. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing my paintings through this lens of it's all white people. Mm-hmm. That's weird, you yeah. know? Um, and so that kind of like. It wasn't totally conscious, like, I, sh- like should I paint black people or shouldn't I paint, or, you know, it kind of just started naturally happening.
0: Yeah. And
1: then when my work entered a different viewership, the educated middle class, mostly white art world,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that's when the question, people were like, wait, this is really highly charged work, you being white, and painting black people and I was like oh okay in this context it is
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I and so that like immediately I was like what the hell is going on that there is such a different set of perceptions about this dynamic in the mostly black marginalized educationally marginalized world and this world Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because it's opposite right it's the opposite and so I was like I was like so confused and struggling with trying to formulate stuff to write you know artist statements and stuff I would I would be like writing an artist statement for art world stuff and then read it to Rory or whoever, and it would sound ridiculous.
0: I mean, a lot of art world stuff sounds ridiculous. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that it would sound ridiculous. I'm sometimes just like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" That's
1: all bullshit. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, yes, it, but it was ridiculous for a different reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> it sounded ridiculous because what was normalized in our in the world in our reality mm-hmm. was not normal yeah in that in that from that viewpoint, yeah. and what uh, it's uh, so much i mean and and this so having these two world views and two conversations kind of um meeting each other has for me shown i mean for everybody involved is just like bringing to the surface um it's so i guess like how othered marginalized black people are Yeah, to where people are not seeing the people in my life as possibly being legitimately in my life in a real day-to-day way you Mm. know and the language even used when talking about it 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 just it reveals this like very deep disconnection and othering of people that sounds very weird and wrong to our ears when we're you know reading it I mean me and like Rory and people involved in this conversation so um so that's been interesting and I uh, so the I guess the there's so much that has gone on I mean this is like five years of thinking and talking and writing and responding, but um, kind of where I'm at right now with it, or one thing that, so the, the, the stated concern is that I'm a white person representing black bodies mm-hmm. and um, and with the history of white people getting to decide how to represent black bodies and doing it in a dehumanizing uh objectifying way right is what I'm doing am I doing that right Right. and um I have I had a friend who was locked up in prison in Louisiana and he and I were deep involved in this conversation a black guy from total from the streets and um he, and he, thinking about this stuff and like showing my paintings to all his friends locked up in there and you know I asked him so what do you think of that of that critique mm-hmm. and he said well all you have to do is look at the painting and decide <laughs> like mm. that yes that could be happening it could not but decide. look at the painting and that seemed very sensible to me (laughs) you know um and so uh the the question comes up though when people looking at the painting in one context like outside of the art world are seeing black people being represented as individuals with you know with agency and being um glad to see more black people represented just mixed in doing normal things mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. not as a and symbol for something tragedy. else it's not all tragedy it's not all like heroism and conquering tragedy it's just the people you know in their humanity yeah and then um and people in the art world people in the art world see that also but you know some sometimes people when they know i'm white see someone who you know see see different things yeah um disempowered Uh and that's really interesting like the painting looks the same in both places so right what does that mean
0: well yeah and I'm kind of thinking about well as a white as a white person I don't get to judge whether or not your art is representative of something real for black people like I would want to hear from them and it sounds like that's you that you talk to the people in your community the people you're painting the people that you're around a lot and so for me I like when I initially heard about your work I was like oh interesting I have no idea like I could see that being problematic and I could see it being fine and like I have but I don't get to decide that And so it's just been interesting reading, you know, reading what you're writing, looking at the paintings, but there's so much because I'm not black that I wouldn't know about the painting about like, is that, is that a exploitive in some way or a fair representation or whatever? I mean, they're beautiful paintings and I, I believe I could see how they are, you know, paintings of people living their lives and that seems fine. And also, I'm like, eh, I just don't get to make that judgment. And so it's, it's interesting, like, he, what, I, what I appreciate about this is that you are leaning into the dialogue mm-hmm. around it. And that you are, you're, and maybe there's moments where you feel defensive, but you're coming and saying, oh, it's fascinating to me that people are seeing this thing and other people are seeing this thing and that you're at least trying to stay in this language of like curiosity about it and letting it yeah. be an evolving conversation.
1: I could be totally wrong. Like that's, like, I don't, you know, like. Well, there is no right or wrong. Really. <laughs> I
0: mean, there's some things that are right
1: or wrong, you know, but this is in this very
0: gray area. Yeah, And, and, and I think it takes, it also takes, my my approach to that would be to just avoid it. And so it takes a kind of courage to be so vulnerable, you know, put yourself in that vulnerable position.
1: Well, I don't think that without the foundation that I had when I began this whole thing that I would have been able to do that because I would have felt like I had something to lose Yeah. By- not being accepted in the art world, but I don't have anything to lose in that Mm. way. And, you know, I get a lot of encouragement from people who aren't part of the conversation. That has been an ongoing interest for me is how is always feeling, as feeling like an outsider myself, feeling Mm -hmm. like there's so many... perspectives and voices that don't have influence in our larger cultural conversations right particularly i mean even the conversations that are for supposedly for the disenfranchised right oh but they're not educated enough to really to really right. understand this and and that is not my experience yeah. i i feel like the farther you are i mean the bell hooks quote i put in my mm-hmm. in my in my well, essay there it. like um the margins are not just a place of deprivation mm. they're a place where you can see clearer what is going on yeah. in the centers of power because you don't have anything to gain from it or mm. you, you know it, and can i read it yeah go ahead i mean you said it well but it's right mm-hmm. here in front mm-hmm. of me so yeah. Yeah. No, she said it better <laughs> uh
0: the margin is more than a site of deprivation it is also the site of radical possibility a space of resistance a site one stays in clings to even because it nourishes one's capacity to resist. It offers to one the possibility of radical perspective from which to see and create, to imagine alternatives, new worlds. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: And, um, you know, I think that people are definitely well-meaning, but we, because we are so segregated along class lines, Mm -hmm. there's, there's often not a lot of understanding about what the real struggle is. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like my friend who was locked up in prison in Louisiana, like, I had I gave you that other zine of yeah. me illustrating his his work and yeah. I was resistant to illustrating his his writing uh-huh. because I'm a white person uh, who's never been incarcerated. Well, just one night in the drunk tank. <laughs> And I, and you know, I don't want to like illustrate his, his life story. uh, And, but I was taught, they kind of talked me into it and Mm -hmm. he wanted me to do it and I did it. And then I ended up getting to know him through doing this and went and visited him in Louisiana. He'd been locked up at age 18 for, and he'd already spent, uh, 16 years in prison. Mm -hmm. And we, we were, we became, we were friends at that point.
0: Yeah.
1: And friends help friends. Like, if yeah. you had a friend who was locked up in prison, but there's this, like, class-race divide where it's like, that's that's a social problem. Uh-huh. No, that's my friend's problem, Uh
0: huh. Uh-huh. you know?
1: And so uh, all we had to do was do a GoFundMe and get $2,500 together for a lawyer who got him out within a year. Oh, so, wow. So... And he didn't have to spend the rest of his life in prison. That's amazing. And that is just by being friends. Right. And people don't... People aren't often friends across class lines. Yeah. Because the struggles are so uh, chaotic and terrifying. And yeah. think they have nothing in common. Right, And right. um, so... I don't know why oh I'm not sure where oh yeah so like I'm oh my own like fear and vulnerability of going out on a limb and talking about this stuff it's because I want those voices to be part of the conversation yeah and I'm doing everything I can to translate went by doing stuff like this I appreciate you having me on you know and doing the writing and um and I think the, the thing in the art world, I mean, the art world is a very sm- insular world. And I got, I, I was having this conversation with a artist of color a few years ago and kind of like just talking theoretically about race and representation and stuff. And we weren't really getting anywhere and he was uncomfortable with it. But I was like, okay, but like, finally I just said, okay, how do you personally feel? Like, what is your emotional response when you see a black body in my painting? And Mm -hmm. he said that you're going to take my place in the art world. Mm -hmm. That it's not so much, at least in this instance, but I think it is representative of uh, uh, kind of the atmosphere in the art world. That as a white person, making work that becomes about race simply by having black bodies included. Yeah. Because that's where we're at as a culture where you can't, you know. Whiteness is not about race, but blackness is. Right, right. You know, right. Um, That I am, that that conversation in itself has become like a commodity in the art world. Has become capital, Mm -hmm. and um, so as a white person, I'm in competition, or even you know, it's novel that I'm a white person. Mm. that has black people included so that I would be taking a space from a black artist. And that, I mean, that was like a very good point.
2: Yeah. I yeah. was like,
1: oh, I want, you know, I how would we know if that was happening? Right. Um. And, but the broader question is, do we really want, to, is that how we want to use art? Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. Is that what we're after is um, our own individual careers right? or are we actually invested in expanding consciousness? Um, but no, that gave me pause, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and I've seriously considered like, huh, okay, I couldn't go back to just painting white people. Because yeah, that would weird. that would be really weird, and that would and and I have a lot of people who would be pretty hurt by that, yeah, yeah, you know <laughs> who see that as like giving in to the forces of power yeah. Um,
0: yeah well and and I think that I mean, I think the thing is and there's no there's no right answer to this because we are all we, we exist and therefore we take up space, right. And so, but the question and the thing that your colleague was pointing out is around how much, who who gets, there isn't space for everyone in every space, you know, and, and who gets the platform, who gets the attention, who gets, you know, the opportunities. And that's very, that's some like really big valid stuff. And it comes up for me a lot when I'm going for like podcast related jobs or I had, I had applied to be an associate producer on a show that... Um, called Ear Hustle that's like in... That's amazing, that show. Yeah, it's great. And I I applied for this job thinking, but as I was applying, I'm like, they should really give it to a person of color. And they probably did. I actually Mm -hmm. don't know who they hired. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a very big problem with representation in that industry around, you know, it's like a lot of of white people and Mm -hmm. same within the therapist world. And at the same time, like, I'm allowed to exist. I'm allowed to, like you know have my own hopes and dreams and desires but balancing that with am i am i taking a position away from you know more marginalized person just by existing i kind of am Mm -hmm. and and there's no way around that but like so that it just becomes this like constant ongoing negotiation of like okay so what choices do i want to make do i it would probably be unreasonable to say well I shouldn't take up any space at all because I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have this and other people should, you know, we have, we exist. It's not our fault that we were born. Um, But, uh, but, you know, looking at history, looking at the, the, the sacrifices that need to be made to, to level the playing field more, to create more equity. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's hard to know the answers to these questions. And so when I apply for a grant, when I apply for a job, like when I do any of these things, I know that me getting it means other people didn't and some of those people might be more marginalized than me or me not getting it means someone else did. I mean, <laughs> you know? and this
1: gets this gets to the heart of what we believe social change is or how it gets affected. Yeah. Effected, you know, mm-hmm, Um mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton. Uh You know, are we interested in getting, is social change mean having more identities represented at the higher echelons of power? Or does it mean uh, reconfiguring the power structures themselves? Yeah. And I am more along the lines of reconfiguring the power structures themselves because Having, of course, having more representation of marginalized identities in the world is super important. Yeah. And absolutely, we should do everything to make that happen. And they're not mutually exclusive. Right. Um, Well, in a way, I kind of think, I guess the hope for, for,
0: for those of us that are like, let's get more people in those positions of power who have been marginalized the hope is that once they're there they have more power to actually start to dismantle and reconfigure right. the structure. Right. And that doesn't necessarily it happen. It doesn't. It doesn't. I know. Sometimes what you have to do <laughs> to get there is to is to mm-hmm. acquiesce to the the power structure that was keeping them down in the first place. And that's like oh, it's so hard. Well, it's so p- hard. I mean power corrupts yeah. and
1: uh... right and it's like
0: well now, now that I'm okay maybe I don't need to like fight this fight anymore and i'm gonna just try to maintain my survival which is understandable in a way it's Mm -hmm. i mean it's human Mm
1: -hmm. it's not it's not great it pisses me off but it's human um it's human for people who don't understand that they're interconnected beings yeah yes
0: i just think of like kanye west (laughs) it's like well i'm fine so i love trump (laughs) yeah i mean it's I mean who knows what else is going on in his head there's a lot going on there but it's it's like and not to say that every marginalized person who goes into a position of power is going to be corrupted but it's true the system itself is cor- corrupting yeah or c- corrosive or whatever and and so morally corrosive and and there is only so much that we can do within the system and so i think both both are true and both both perspectives need to be supported and it's a kind of constant internal negotiation and external negotiation Mm -hmm. and people. And because there's no, also with the work you're doing, I'm sure there are, you know, there are plenty of people of color in your life who know you and who are like really supportive of it and feel good seeing their bodies represented in their paintings based on the feedback you've received from the people in your life and then there are people who don't know you or other people who maybe who even do know you who might be uncomfortable with it for their own reasons. And it's like, yeah, there's not like a right or a wrong there.
1: Yeah. And and I think it also gets to the heart of what we how we talk about art. Like, I think there's often I think the way it is now is often like art is to put out a mess- a good message mm-hmm. that um, is, at least on the surface, supportive of all of the ideals that we claim to share. Yeah. And when it does that, we get behind it. And if we can identify that it's doing that, it's, it's good. Yeah. Um, and then when art doesn't do that, it should be condemned and banned mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's more propaganda (laughs) than the Mm. purpose of art. Mm -hmm. Even if it is a message we all agree with, then it's propaganda we agree with and we get to feel really good about being right. And I do think there is a place for propaganda, for creating a sense of solidarity and empowerment and seeing like, obviously very positive images that have a very clear message. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think there's also a place for art that challenges the people who actually view art. Yeah. Which is art that is ambiguous Mm -hmm. and... Creates
0: a conversation. And
1: creates a deeper conversation Mm -hmm. than, you know, this is how things should be. We all agree. This is how we get there. We all agree. And we're right. And if we could just get all those Trump people to, um, if we could just kill them or, or, (laughs) (laughs) or change their mind or, you know, overpower them, then Mm -hmm. we'll get there and they're the problem. You know, Mm -hmm. like that is not what I, that is not what I see. I I mean, if we, if we all, I swear the class divide thing is so, the consciousness divide Mm -hmm. is so deep and that Mm -hmm. gap is so wide and... Um, and it's exploited by the top. Yes, yeah, and I we play into it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I'm not even talking white or black. I mean, obviously, poor whites and poor blacks are split. But you know, left liberal whites and or whatever left liberal whatever and poor people, black or white, are completely. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that
0: that came up here in San Francisco during our last mayoral election, because a lot of the the more like the really like progressive liberals in the city did not want London Breed to be elected our mayor. And I I didn't I didn't want London Breed. I didn't trust her. I didn't like her voting record. I Mm -hmm. felt like she was more in the hands with the with the corporations and the it and it was interesting to have that challenge by looking at what the black community wanted. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I mean, some of it's probably because she's black and they felt like they could trust her more, but like that not like that, even though liberal progressive anti-racist people may feel like, you know, we're totally, you know, gonna be, you know, have their best interests in mind. Mm -hmm. It's like, first of all, not all black people are liberal or liberal in all the ways and some have more conservative values like certain things mm-hmm. and that how how many people do i know including myself who are actually like having those conversations with the the dwindling black community in this city like i yeah i don't i don't have a connection to it and mm-hmm. i don't know what's going on mm-hmm. and it's it's humbling and important to remember that. And I just still don't know fully how to bridge that gap, but I know that it's there. And I mm-hmm. think we have to really, that reminder, you know, there's just such a strong reminder during that, that, that that's there and that it's important to listen to. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, and I'm also like, I know that, I know that feeling of feeling like, you know, your image is being taken over, being taken by someone. Yeah. Who may not get it right or, you know, like. Well, they're going
0: to, they're, they're, it's their projection.
1: Yeah. Of what they're seeing. Yeah. And
0: that's vulnerable.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm also like, I get, like, super, like, passionate and strident sounding sometimes when I'm talking about this. And it's – I don't – actually don't want to be that way because mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually feel way more open than that. It's more just uh, – I've gone super deep into thinking about all this stuff and talking so much with people. Yeah. But um, – but uh, – wait, what was I about to say? The image being taken. Oh, yeah. And – um. So when people, what I wish for is to be able to have just more gentle and open conversations. Mm. Because the feelings that come up are super raw and sensitive. Mm -hmm. I mean, mine too. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said earlier about like feeling defensive, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I've had to really. Actually, it's been amazing for me to feel that fear. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, it's like the worst thing for a white person to be like called out for something race related yep. in the, this culture. You know, yeah, that's yeah. like the white fragility thing. You know, totally. Yeah, and um, and you know, by going through that and like feeling all all of that. I got to a place with it where um, I don't feel protective of my whiteness or rightness. Yeah. You know, like I don't feel like I have anything to defend. I'm truly interested in hearing what everybody has to say. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, I find it. You know as as much as on the internet or wherever else I've had people accuse me of being a self-loathing white person racists accuse me (laughs) Um, uh, For you know question, you know questioning my privilege and you know calling things out um and Problems with white culture and all in the history Um, The thing I keep saying over and over again is that by being humbled by it by owning you know response taking responsibility by owning my privilege and all of that it's it doesn't it's liberating mm-hmm. it really is it by getting to of course I sometimes when someone you know calls me out for something I get that shaky feeling mm-hmm. and feel shame and, and of course that happens but it doesn't I can tolerate it so much more than I ever could have before and it and it doesn't last as long and I'm able to there's enough space to like actually take in the feedback and sit with it and think about it. And so I'm able to not get as get defensive like I would have in the past mm-hmm. maybe. And I think, yeah, that's, that's a tremendously liberating thing and it's not, it does not feel like self hate. It actually feels like uh, just being fucking
1: human. <laughs> right. I mean, that's racial deconditioning. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's very deep. Like, part of a white person's conditioning is to pretty much assume that you're going to be given the benefit of the doubt and seen as a decent person in the culture,
2: Mm -hmm. you
1: know. So having that completely challenged, great. Like, decondition that false identity and false sense of self, that sense of power and self based on something completely false.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, okay. We're yeah. gonna shift gears. This is such a good conversation, and, and really just so vital and and ongoing. So I'm, you know, just gonna music. There's no, there's no great way to to end it. Uh, yeah, okay. um, we're gonna we're gonna listen to uh, "Poor Sucker" by Low um, from the album Double Negative, Negative. and then we're gonna come back and do a, a kind of I'm gonna say a quick listener question. Who knows what it opens up, but, you know, we're still constrained by the length of the show. (laughs) Okay, you're listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. That was uh, Poor Sucker by Low. And here in the studio with me is Kate White. We just uh, had a really great conversation. That's the kind of conversation that doesn't end mm-hmm. <laughs> um, about working, being, being a white artist, working with the topic of race and everything that that's brought up in the art world and in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I definitely recommend if people were not if you weren't tuned in then to to go back and listen when it's in the archives because this is a really big important conversation and we're so important (laughs) like (laughs) oh my god (laughs) duh. Um, but we, we don't have a lot of time for this question but um so it it's a simple question in a way uh okay but, but it's also i'm trying i'm actually I should have pulled this up earlier um how long is oh okay i'm gonna start with a uh all right, so the person writes what what happens when we die <laughs> so before we before we discuss, I would just wanna play a uh a short clip from youtube um with everyone's favorite <laughs> well. He's very popular, again, uh, giving a really great answer to this question. At, here's Keanu Reeves on a Stephen Colbert's show.
5: So what well, are we going to do? What happens to you if, if you don't do this? Well, it's you? the end of the universe. It's the end of time and oh, well. space continuum. So it's, you're, facing, it's all you're, over.
0: you're facing your own mortality and the mortality of all existence.
5: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what do you think happens when we die, Keanu Reeves? <laughs> I know that the ones who love us will miss us.
1: Yeah. Uh, That is, uh, that, that, that's a
0: hard act to follow. (laughs) (laughs) That made me, that makes me cry every time I hear it. (laughs) It's just like, he's, he's so, he's, in some ways he's so boring, he's zen, you know, like, but also maybe he's just zen,
1: I don't know, but oh he's su- he's such not a thinker that he just states the realist <laughs> that's, thing <laughs> that's definitely what it comes
0: across as and he might be an extremely deep thinker he might not be i don't know but that's like that that's the an- like that's the best answer do you have tears in your eyes right I now do.
4: oh my god
0: <laughs> hey this is radio you didn't have to call that out
1: no they should know it's really beautiful now they know
0: I cry, like, almost every week. Oh, um.
1: That's so sweet.
0: It's just such, like, a – we don't – it's, like, that's the
1: only thing we can know, you know? Hopefully, they'll miss us.
0: Yeah, well – we
1: have loved ones.
0: Yeah, exactly. We know the ones who love us will miss. Yeah, the ones like, we, there's yeah. some conditions in there. Yeah.
1: Okay, if you die alone and no one knows you, then what happens? Hey, eh? that's the real question, right? Mm,
0: nothing that we know of, right? True. Um, oh, well, there's probably we could talk about like, you know, different options for what the breakdown of the body itself. Um, I'm I'm interested in donating my body to a body farm after I listened to an episode of the podcast Criminal called Body Farm. I think it was called Body Farm. Maybe it was called something else, uh, but, but where... Um, there's there's these body farms where like uh, they they have cadavers around to study mm-hmm. the decomposition and it's for forensic purposes, actually. So you, the, you can learn they're, they're able to gather more data on oh. what conditions would cause a body to decompose in this particular
1: way. And so they're not harvesting organs and cutting you up. They're just letting you rot. Naturally. Yeah.
0: Though, on the other hand, I want to be an organ donor, and, but, like, I don't know with the body farm thing if you can do both, because they probably need your whole body to be there. Mm-hmm. Like, can I just donate, like, part of my body to the body farm? Right. Like, what if it was a Might situation where someone was, like, cut in half? Can I just send you the bottom half? You right. Know? <laughs> For that one case where they have to <laughs> where,
1: where the, how long torso half was of the corpse yeah. was missing. In the apartment.
0: Oh. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, there's that. There's like, you know.
1: Well, be careful with that because, you know, in certain spiritual traditions, they truly believe and claim to experience super like, you know, aware, enlightened people that your consciousness doesn't leave your body right away. Mm -hmm. You don't want to mess with it in the bardo.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. I just don't believe anything. So that's that's the thing. They – that – and if but if I believe to that, keep your
1: options open is all I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's the problem
0: though. It's like there are so many beliefs and so many options. Like one, you know, in one tradition you got to burn the body and in another mm. tradition you got to bury the body. But like, you know, in uh, I've, I've I've already done so many things that could could send me to hell. Um repent before you die. Yeah, that's true, but like in in I was going to say in Judaism there is no repenting really that's not true but there isn't really hell yeah
1: there's no there's but i have tattoos
0: i've you know i've screwed that one up so i gotta pick a different religion (laughs) i just i don't know what i mean what do you have a personal spiritual sense of what happens when we die
1: um or or
0: spiritual or not i don't
1: know No, but i have i mean i i of course i don't know um what (laughs) Uh,
0: nor do I believe I would not have had you on the show here today if I thought you didn't know I'm a
1: seeker all right I said I was a seeker at the beginning (laughs) yeah
0: by the way I'm sure that whoever wrote this question was just trolling me because I was like I need questions for my show and I'm like come on I I know well but I I, insist on answering it (laughs) I,
1: I do too and I actually have an answer okay um to the wow. question what happens when you die yeah i well i i don't know if this is true but this is kind of where i'm placing my bets okay is that um whatever what is that Vo- Voice. I thought I, I. I thought I heard like a ghost, a dark ghost wind. Yeah. Well, um. It's possible. I was actually just. Um. I was actually just stalling. Because I really <laughs> don't have an oh, answer. Yeah. No, saying ghost. Ghost, a ghost is a here. good way to stall. Um. <laughs> uh, no. Don't you have any other questions? No. That was it. okay. What happens when you die? <laughs> <laughs> um Hey hey people, we
0: need more questions. Obviously, by the we way. need more I'm, questions. I'm gonna need some more questions for next week and the week after. Maybe something, you know, more of this earth. <laughs> no, I'll take any question, but
1: I think that um, you know, the whole idea of eternity and yeah. an afterlife is the is the state your consciousness is in at the moment of your extinction. Ooh. I mean that basically qualifies as eternity for your consciousness Hmm. right i mean i mean hit this joint and then let me ask that
0: question (laughs) well the thing i mean that begs the question of if consciousness is a is a thing outside of brain activity you know if consciousness is something separate or um uh ongoing right like transferable or you know like there's like what conscious consciousness the idea of consciousness is a metaphor for something that we can't that we don't have a a scientific understanding of really and so or you know and, and it can be a it's it has a spiritual quality to it it's you know it's very much outside of like it's not it's not a solid tangible thing
1: That can be measured with our current scientific methods and tools. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which I think it probably is.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's such a mystery, like in terms of like why, like I frequently I'm like, why do we even have it? Like, we're just animals, right? But Mm -hmm. mm." I wish. And, and, you know, I'm sure some animals have it. Like, I
1: don't know but even if consciousness is just brain activity i really need some weed right now i I know um but even we've probably we've probably had enough experience that we can just go there right now that's true yeah um i'm gonna invoke actually i don't even smoke weed so i don't know why i'm saying that but (laughs) i've been high uh okay just channel that uh but i even if consciousness is just brain activity The very last of our brain activity is is all of it, like that's the end of our life. Well, okay, that's our that's where we live forever. Is in that last moment. That is where we live forever. If consciousness is just brain activity, yeah. So well, and
0: that begs the question of like the nature of time and space and like, but yeah, I guess I guess that could be
1: that's that's an interesting. So I want to be super aware when I die, like some people are like, I hope I just die in my sleep. Why? I want to be right there watching the life drain from my body and make Mm -hmm. my peace. Because that's where I'm going to be forever if there is nothing else. I mean, I can do that right now. Like, Just keep doing that. Yeah. Over and over and over. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's some moments that I wouldn't want to remember forever. But so I have a movie recommendation then. We're about to end. But I want to wrap this up with uh, this part up with a a movie recommendation. Um, The film is called Afterlife. And it actually was screened here recently with discussion because they were doing kind of a series of this director's movies. Um, It's a Japanese film. And... Let me just pull it up. Uh, what is what is his name? Um, but basically, the... Oh, Hirokatsu Kurida. So the gist of it, this movie's from 1998, um, is that when you die, you go to this sort of purgatory place that's just kind of like Earth. It's like normal, like they're staying in this house. And... And you have to, you review your life and you choose a moment, a memory that they will help direct and recreate with props and like all the stuff for you to then live in for eternity. Oh, God. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And so it's like this process of these people who are in that space kind of reviewing life and, and like picking what they want to then have constructed That sounds like
1: hell. Right? No matter what the moment is. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if you pick the so-called best moment.
5: Yeah.
0: Well, so there's the hell, of the paralysis around what to choose. And then there's the fact that nothing should last forever. I know. (laughs)
1: Um, Were people all excited about, was it like Fantasy Island? Like people were all excited about like, oh, I get to live when I like have that ice cream cone uh, with my grandma forever.
0: I mean... I wouldn't say it's like all excited. It's definitely has like a Japanese subdu- I mean, well, there's there's the excited Japanese style of like television. <laughs> and then there's the like, you know, everyone looks kind of somber and serious right. and like is kind of mellow version and it was more that. But yeah. um it's a really beautiful film and okay. I think people should watch it. Uh I have a final question for you. Oh, okay. Oh, the treasure is buried somewhere right. in the Bay Area. What is the treasure, and where is it buried?
1: And there's only one. I
0: don't know. I mean, there's only like one minute, so.
1: <laughs> okay, the treasure <laughs> is the treasure is is dispersed. One gold coin in every single human being's heart Ooh. that uh, it populates the Bay Area. And it's buried in there if they uh, are willing to dig down through their pain and drama to find it.
0: (laughs) I love it. And what can you, what can you, is it like normal currency or is it for something? No, it's like from
1: Sonic Hedgehog, the video game. that's totally what I was
0: picturing. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I love it. There was, because the Sonic the Hedgehog movie is like coming out and someone made a fake trailer that all it was was an actual hedgehog walking down the street but they inserted into the video the coins and it was just (gasps) collecting coins and making the sound it was thanks internet i love the internet um thank you kate Uh, white for being on the show today thank you for having me this has just been spectacular really great depthful conversation in all kinds of ways from you know (sighs) death to you know race and class to art you
1: know. I have a show up at Mills College Art Museum until the end of the month. I should have mentioned that. Oh, well, people say, it, say see it now. It. So people... it's at Mills
0: Car- College Art Museum. Yeah. till okay.
1: September 1st.
0: Awesome. Definitely go check that out. Um, and people can find you online at katewhite.com. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. C-A-T-E-W-H-I-T-E. Um, do you want people to find you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that?
1: Facebook thing? and Instagram if they want to. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and yeah, you are easy to find in those places. Um, just look for Kate White of Oakland, California. Um, and also follow Radical Advice on Twitter, Facebook, uh, to stay tuned. Go to com and submit a life question, perhaps not a death question. <laughs> I mean, it can be about death, but not like the ultimate. No, whatever. Send the ultimate question. This was a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um but i do i do like specific life issues as well um uh next week i believe elaine chan share my former supervisor someone who taught me a lot of what i know about being a therapist will be on the show or oh no next week i think might be lily sun one of those two uh they're going to be in the next two weeks and they're both wonderful therapists um and uh go to bff.fm slash donate help support the show in the station Come find us at Mush on Thursday in Jack London Square in the lawn by the ferry terminal from 6:30 to 9. And um keep listening today. We've got Life and Times of the Bourgeoisie up next. And I'm gonna close out the show with a song um by Brazilian girls called Saint Petersburg. Do you have any last words? <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what are your last, are my last last words. will and testament uh <laughs> your, yeah your, thank thank what you what is it your final rights your...
1: yeah i'm sorry for everything and thank you <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's perfect
0: <laughs> and now you will exist in that moment for eternity uh thanks so much for listening i'll talk to you next week